Compass, man, I think that's probably one of the most misunderstood companies in our industry. I can't tell you how many brokerages write off Compass simply because they have a lot of capital or because they pay sign-on bonuses. Compass is really going deep in their markets so that they can unlock uh, and unleash these market dynamics and they can really control the market or make the market. The industry hasn't yet seen what a tech-powered brokerage is capable of when they achieve that level of market dominance. You're listening to The Real Estate Sessions. I'm your host, Bill Risser, with Fidelity National Title, Tampa District. Thanks for tuning in as we uncover the stories of leaders in our industry. Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode 201 of the Real Estate Sessions podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you so much for telling a friend. I, I, I appreciate the, uh, the ability to continue to bring these interesting people uh, to, to, to the world of real estate so they can hear kind of where they came from. I love to get the stories of these people that are doing some great things. Today's guest is no exception. You know, I've, I've been a fan from afar for a while. I mean, Andrew Flackner, who's the co-founder and president of Real Scout, has been involved heavily with the Inman um, crowd and, and done a lot of interviews and a lot of moderating of panels at Inman. I've always been a fan of his style, his, how well prepared he is. So trust me, I, I spent a little extra time getting ready for today. <laughs> and I'll leave it at that. Andrew, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thank you. I'm, I'm really uh, honored to be a, a guest and congrats on the recent recognition uh, as an, an innovator. Well, thank you very much for saying that. It was uh, super cool and, and kind of super weird at the same time, if that makes sense. So <laughs> it was nice. So I know that uh, you're, you know, Real Scout is based out of the Bay Area and you live up there now. And I think you went to Cal Poly San Luis Obispo, right? Is that you're a, a proud? Now, what's their, what's their, did they have a weird for a while mascot? We were, uh, were the Mustangs. Okay. So am I thinking of some other school? Maybe it was Santa Cruz. It was the Banana Slugs or something? <laughs> yeah, I don't think that was us. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, all right. Sorry. I didn't mean, to be, didn't mean to offend any Mustangs out there listening. So can I assume then, um, like myself, are you a California native? I am. So I grew up in Southern California, and then I went to school at Cal Poly on the Central Coast and kind of worked my way up to Silicon Valley and now in San Francisco. So your, your trips back to LA, right? Is that the part of Southern California you're talking about? Yeah, coastal community, Palos Verdes, um, sure. not too far from LAX, about a half an hour away. And I love visiting. Uh, my mom still lives in Santa Monica. And uh, whether I'm visiting my alma mater at Cal Poly, I do some work coaching some of the, the startups uh, in, in their innovation program there, uh, or going back to LA. Uh, I just love California coast up and down. So it's always a treat to, to get to visit. Yeah, I think it it should be a bucket list item for most people listening, right? I mean, just just to take uh, Highway One all the way up, it's a it's a a treat, something everyone should do. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was very interesting doing my homework for this episode because not many people that I talked to, and it's you know we're over 200 episodes now, um, knew real estate was going to be their way in life at as young an age as you knew. Most of the time, it's a second career. They're in their 30s or 40s, even sometimes 50s before a career in real estate starts. But let's talk about your path. How old were you when you knew this was the way I was going? Sure. So my background in entrepreneurship goes way, way, way back. I mean, I was just a kid when I was, uh, of course, I was doing lemonade stands and things like that. But when I was eight years old, I actually started my first company, if you can call it that. It was a disc jockey business. And 
Uh, it was really just two cute kids in a boom box and people would pay us 30 or $40 to DJ their parties. But that is something I grew and evolved into a full service event company in Southern California. We were DJing, uh, you know, Jane Harmon's congressional campaign. We were uh, DJing weddings and bar mitzvahs. And, uh, and the reason I share that with you is I think I've always been an entrepreneur. And when I learned about what it was like to sell real estate when I was, I was in high school at the time, I thought, hey, you know what? This sounds like a really great way to make money. At the time, I was, I was looking for different ways to make money. Um, I really, I, I, I love the idea of being my own boss and setting my own hours and having unlimited income potential. So I was, I was in high school and I thought, hey, you know what? I'm going to study for the real estate license exam and I'm going to try to be a real estate agent. I didn't have any family in the business. At the time, I didn't have any mentors who were real estate brokers or agents. But I studied for the exam, got licensed, and... I don't think I've shared this story before, but I, I sought out the, the number one real estate broker in my market. It was Al D'Amico at Keller Williams Realty. And I, I, I knocked on his door and I said, hey, I want to be on your real estate team. And he laughed and said, you could be my intern. <laughs> and I came back every few days uh, in person and persisted for weeks. And finally, he allowed me to serve on his real estate team as one of his buyer specialists. He had a team of three or four you know, top producing agents. And here I was as a pimply faced teenager. And he still tells this story to his agents to this day, uh, because it was uh, an example of, of, of what you can do with the right persistence and, and right attitude, I suppose. You're 18 years old when you go up to talk to him. Yeah, that's right. And I, I oh. sold my first home. I mean, I was, it was a lead that came in through the team and I was able to, to pitch the, this newlywed couple and help them into their first home. It was probably the, one of the least expensive homes in my area, but it was a pretty affluent area. And uh, I, I had the good fortune of selling a home while I was still in high school. And I'll never forget just seeing that first commission check with a comma in it. And I thought, hey, this is a lot better than flipping burgers or scooping ice cream. And it was that day that I, I, I thought, hey, you know what? Real estate is, is pretty incredible. And it wasn't just because of the income's potential. Income potential. It, it was about... It's a lot of cliche, right? It's it's helping people with the biggest financial transaction of their life and 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 getting them to find their their home, and it was just a really rewarding and fulfilling process. Um, so again, it's something your your listeners haven't heard before, but it, it certainly was really powerful to me at the beginning of my career. And uh, at the time, I I wanted to just pursue real estate sales full time, but my my mentor Al D'Amico, he he really pushed me to to get my degree, so I went to school at Cal Poly. Uh, majored in finance, got a, a minor in real estate development, but I continued my path uh, in real estate from that point forward. So, did you? I'm curious. Did you sell any properties while you were in college? Were you still kind of trying yeah. to keep active up there? I was. So I, I transferred my license to Keller Williams Pismo Beach. I didn't do a ton of business. I forgot if I even. I think I did some referrals and maybe helped somebody buy or sell a home. I was really focused on academics and extracurriculars, but. I actually realized that I wanted to buy real estate and, and, and I really believed in income property and growing passive income that way. And so I went to uh, some seminars, I read some books, I found some great mentors. And after founding Cal Poly's Real Estate Club, I decided, hey, you know what? I want to use this platform uh, and leverage my mentors to help me buy real estate. But I had no money of my own. I think I had four or $5,000 in, in, in savings. And so I had to learn how to buy real estate with other people's money. So I was able to convince my finance professor and some other investors to pool their capital with me. And together, uh, we set out and purchased multifamily property, which was an incredible experience. And I learned a lot in the process. 
this is in Albuquerque, right? Yeah, Albuquerque, New Mexico. Um, uh, my my business partner, who is also in college, he and I, we did a lot of analysis on different markets throughout the U.S. We looked at population trends and and retail and crime rates and. We narrowed in on Albuquerque as the market we wanted to focus on. And not long after purchasing it, I think it was ranked as, as the number one or top five uh, markets to overcome the economic recession. So I think we, in some ways, we kind of lucked out and some of it was, was based on, off of the research and the work that we put into it. But all in all, it was a really great experience. And we, we, we purchased, we, we fixed, we flipped properties. And it was all very new to me, but it taught me the importance of taking some really big swings and sometimes stepping outside of your comfort zone uh, and what can happen when you take those leaps of faith. Let's let's discuss a couple more leaps of faith for Andrew Flackner as he uh, gets out of college. The entrepreneurial spirit runs deep in you, obviously. We can tell just from the first 10 minutes of this episode, but you you had a couple of startups that you got going, right? And I, I think if, if I'm reading this correctly, one was called Natural Cravings, which you know, I, I think part of you um, is really concerned about people and and health and even their financial health. You really care about your customer. So let's talk about natural cravings, and then I'll let you introduce the other one. <laughs> sure. So I, my co-founders and I saw an opportunity. I was right when two Senate bills were passed in California that kicked out junk food vendors, Pepsi and Coke, namely from public schools in California. And this was at a time where California schools were already hurting financially. And you have to understand that Pepsi and Coke were just dumping money into the pockets of uh, these, these schools because they really wanted their vending machines, which were really just billboards for their brands to be scattered throughout these campuses. And once these, these vendors were kicked out, we came right in and we had healthy, all natural, organic, artificial ingredients. We had great products in vending machines and we, we saw a business opportunity there. And so we founded Natural Cravings as a health food vending machine company. We had vending machines all throughout California and public schools and in businesses. You know, I partnered with a family who had the idea for this company and we, we really took it to the next level and eventually sold it to a conglomerate based in the UK. And how old are you when this company's founded? I think I was about 21. Awesome. Continue. <laughs> yeah. So that was that was a great experience. It was a, it was in a field I had very little experience in. By the way, uh, I had to, to understand the whole health food uh, segment. Had to understand how it worked to partner with and contract with public schools and the bureaucracy involved in that. And we were going up against major vendors that had way more experience and had a way stronger backing, but we were able to, to really differentiate ourselves. Our, our machines were state-of-the-art. We had credit card readers, which believe it or not, you know, high school students are swiping their parents' credit cards and buying $3 coconut waters. <laughs> it, was a, it, was a, it was a really great business, uh, but it was also like a very labor-intensive business. It was almost like a brick and mortar, right? You have, you have to, to fill these machines. You have to move the machines and deal with vandalism. So anyway, I know that's probably a, a lot of detail for, for the, the listeners, but I always geek out on these entrepreneurial stories where uh, it doesn't have to be a tech company that raises a ton of money in venture capital. Uh, it, it could be something that you understand and, and a problem you face as an entrepreneur. And that was one of them. The, the, that, that business was, was, was thriving when my current co-founder at Real Scout came to me and said, hey, you know what? 
I've been using these dating apps. So we're gonna we're gonna do a rough uh, a rough segue here into my, yeah, my adventure. <laughs> so my 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 current co-founder, this is years ago, he came to me. This is long before Real Scout, and he says, Hey, you know, I'm using these dating apps, and I realize that I only have one or two days a week to go on a date, and a lot of these dates aren't going super well. And I would love to have uh, a friend of mine with me who's also single, also looking to make a match on one of these apps. Uh, I'd love to have them with me. It would be a much more social experience. It would be a lot, uh, I don't know, safer and less risky, less awkward. And so uh, he had the idea for this double dating web, uh, website. And we partnered up. We, we created this company. It was called Duo Dater. And the idea is that you and a friend would form a duo and look for another duo to date. And it, it was it was wild. It actually started to, to see some traction in India where one-on-one -on -one dating is sort of taboo and a, a more social environment is acceptable. And that was, uh, again, another field that we knew nothing about. And, and little did I know at the time that making matches with people uh, would actually translate very nicely into making matches between home buyers and, and homes. And I really feel like there's a lot of parallels between the two industries. But that dating app, uh, it wasn't a huge success, but we did get acquired by the, the former Match.com CEO. Um, and it was great to work alongside him for a couple of years on another product. And and yeah, that was that was that was that chapter in my life. It was okay. it was a chapter that was exciting. There was no shortage of adventure, but it also taught me that hey, if you're really gonna sink your teeth into an entrepreneurial ende endeavor, it's hard to do more than one startup. It's hard to do more than one business. It really takes more than 100% of your time. So I, I think I did overextend myself in that in that chapter. Well, let's let's then take this to uh, your current endeavor, which uh, is going extremely well. And let's talk about Real Scout. I I think and we ran into each other at Inman. We we got to share a slice of pizza, right? At Secret Pizza right. with a group of people, had a great time. And I commented to you there about the presentation you did, you know, a couple of different presentations you did on stage that talked about this, this what's happening with search and how um, this experience can be created that, that really ties people to a property and, and then in turn helps that realtor who's bringing all that together, right? So go ahead and let's kind of start about the beginnings of Real Scout. Like what kind of problem did you see that you were solving? And then let's kind of go down that path. Sure. So I'm going to keep it pretty tight just because I think some of, some of your listeners have probably heard my story before. But, you know, I, I was a real estate agent. I was uh, frustrated by the fact that my clients were searching on third party sites and I had no visibility into their search behavior, how their tastes were changing. So I, I looked at the landscape in Silicon Valley. I noticed that most of the venture capital was going to disrupt brokerages. And by the way, many of these disruptive companies they have no, their founding teams have no experience selling real estate. So I think that's not mm -hmm. a coincidence. And you often find that people who think an industry is broken, uh, it's great to see an, an industry outsider come in and try to shake things up. But I, I noticed very quickly that people were overestimating how simple a real estate transaction was. In other words, they were underestimating how complex it was. Right. And and so I, I, I we're, we're betting big on brokerages and, and agents. And what we realized very quickly is that we can raise venture capital, we can hire great engineers, and we can put all of that horsepower behind the industry. We can empower brokers to drive more value to their agents. And we can empower those agents to amplify the value they bring to their transactions and their clients. So we, we, we did that and we, we created this company, uh, Real Scout. It's become a more prominent company in our space because we, we really do make a product that helps agents 
remain central in the home search experience. And uh, the way it works is an, an agent would invite their client to Real Scout, and then together they would collaborate around the home search. It's not a broker website, it's not an agent website. You know, those rarely yield meaningful results. It's really about creating a safe haven where an agent and a client can can collaborate and find the right home faster. Yeah, and I love this part of your company. You handle this very specific portion of the of the transaction, or we'll call it even the experience. Well, while other companies are trying to create these end-to-end, we can do everything solutions. Why right. why did you focus on this piece? What was the reason? Well, I mean, I think the the promise of end-to-end is very exciting, and I'm surprised that people still believe it's possible. I, I think if you look at at any industry, it is just very very difficult to to, to be best in class in multiple categories, right? And if you look at your smartphone, for instance, you probably have 50 or 100 apps uh, on your home screen. How many of them were made by Google or made by Apple, uh, if you have an I, you know, iOS device? Very few of them, right? And it's because how can you make the best calendar app but also make the best, I don't know, uh, newsreader? It's very, very unlikely. So when it comes to real estate, we wanted to focus on one part of the funnel. We focused on probably the least sexy part of the funnel, which is lead conversion, right? Uh, this is an industry where people are really keen on, on buying more leads. And, and, and we said, you know what? People have enough leads. How about they focus on, on converting the leads they have? Because let's face it, most agents, are their business consists of referrals, repeat business, sphere of influence. And so what we, what we focus on is taking those leads and converting them at a higher rate. So we, we, we try to stay in our lane. Uh, we think we are the best at collaborative home search, but we think that other companies are the best at CRM and transaction management and lead gen. So we want to integrate and play nicely with those companies. And that's part of the plan, right? I mean, obviously, my guess is UAPI in or there's a way for you to be working with anyone who wants to work with the, your part of the funnel. Oh, absolutely. We have an API. We we have great partnerships with many companies in the industry. MoxieWorks, Spacio, Zillow, Trulia follow up boss, you name it. But we we really try to not bite off more than we can chew. Uh, most startups do not die because they don't have enough great ideas. They usually die because they have too many great ideas. <laughs> That's true. That's good. Let's talk about one of the ideas you did a presentation on. I Your presentation on computer vision to this day, I still show to people. I still find it and say, just watch this and look what he's talking about. How, how are we doing in that area? You know, are we, is, is progress being made? Because if I, you know, in that presentation, you talk about the machine learning that has to happen has to be done initially by humans, right? To under, for, for these machines to understand what's, what's happening. I'll, I'm kind of jumping deep into it, but I'll let sure. you kind of tell the audience. So what we're talking about here is a form of machine learning called computer vision, and it enables computers to make sense of the visual world the way humans do. And it's exciting. It's, it's being used by oncologists and radiologists to identify certain types of cancer in x-rays with more accuracy than you know, some of the best medical professionals in the world. It's being used by autonomous vehicles to differentiate motorists and pedestrians. Uh, it, is, it is really changing the world we live in. And, and it's being used in real estate. And we were the ones to bring it to real estate. There's a few other great companies that are employing the same software today. Uh, but you're right. It has to be trained by humans before these neural networks can understand uh, an image or a video, for instance. So a great example is, you know, you may not realize this, but you've actually trained Facebook to recognize you and your friends in the photos you upload. 
right? Because over, you know, if you recall, you used to have to tag all your friends manually. And once you do that a few hundred times or a few thousand times, then Facebook can now use that training set to, uh, to recognize who that person is. So with, with Real Scout, when we founded the company, we actually did the same thing. We looked at countless MLS photos and we tagged them manually saying, hey, this is the kitchen, this is the bathroom, this is the bedroom. And over time, after training, I forgot if it was hundreds of thousands or, 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 or more, uh, but we were able to train this data set and now our software can do it automatically. So now when a consumer is searching for a home on Real Scout and they click open a, a photo carousel on one of the property pages, they can just click on the word kitchen and see all the kitchen photographs instead of having to click 30 times to find the picture they care most about. Wow. Yeah, I think I think you even took it a, you know further. And, and this is where we'll be one day where you could say something like, just show me kitchens with pendant lights. And it might be a direct quote from your presentation, but but that stuff yeah. is close, right? It, it is close. I, I think that there's a lot that can be done with what I call fine grained room classifications where you can distinguish the difference between uh, a game room and a nursery or a, a patio in a backyard. Certainly there are companies that are investing deeply in it now. I think we'd also be in a much better place if more MLSs and agents spent the time tagging photos mm-hmm. on their own <laughs> and if uh-huh. the data was richer and more accurate so that startups didn't have to reinvent the wheel here. But one way or another, I think that organizing this data is going to make it searchable and consumable. And yes, you're right. Computer vision, whether it's identifying pendant lights or you know uh, speakers in the ceiling or uh, vaulted ceilings, if computers or people or a combination of the two are able to really index these properties with more detail, then it's really going to increase our understanding of the properties, make them uh, a lot more searchable. And uh, look, uh, listen, I mean, consumers do not want to search mindlessly through thousands of photos on the MLS or on Zillow or anywhere else. They, they really want to narrow in on or surface the properties that are most relevant to them. There are a lot of startups, I mean, or twice a year at Inman. I go to Startup Alley and you get to see these new new kids on the block and all this great stuff. You're not this grizzled veteran, but you are. You're a very young grizzled veteran. What are the <laughs> what are some of the startups you see kind of entering that that kind of like you go, wow, that's interesting or that's something I'm going to follow? Is there any is there a category or a company that interests you? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, first off, I, I think what doesn't interest me is seeing more. I guess undercapitalized startups that are trying to reinvent the entire experience of buying a home or the entire workflow of an agent or brokerage. I mean, first of all, I have my doubts that the biggest brokerages in our country that have hundreds of millions of dollars to play with are able to pull that off. So your startup that has $50,000 in seed capital is not going to, to pull that off. So focus is just critical here. I think we've talked ad nauseum about iBuyers. I'm not even going to go there. But a, a, a tangentially related product category is is kind of this allocation of capital or front-loading some of the investments that a homeowner needs to make. Uh, a good example of that is a company called Curbio. And the way it works is they will help renovate and pay for the renovations uh, on your home before it goes to market. And you only pay them after escrow closes. Uh, that solves a real pain point for consumers. And it's also in some ways related to the iBuyer situation where, you know, if you have the patience and the time to renovate your home, you can extract more value from the sale of that home. So, uh, but not not everyone has, you know, tens of thousands of dollars laying around to make those improvements. So I I do think that that's one that's caught my eyes, like a a big opportunity. 
there's one, I, I met these guys who, who founded a company called Addressable. Uh, and if you just Google Addressable or Addressable app, you'll find it. But this is a, a company that uses a, a robot and a ballpoint pen to write letters on your behalf. You type up what you want your letter to say, and they will use their robot to write the letter and they'll mail it out. Now, I don't know how many people out there have legible writing and enjoy writing cards. I'm not one of them, but I understand the importance uh, of a personal touch like a card would be. And this is really a great way to, to, to send out a, a personal, quote unquote, handwritten or robot written correspondence that it really will be memorable and, and make an impact. Yeah, I saw both those companies. I agree with you on both. They very interesting. And and I now I've got to I got to drag you for a second, Andrew, a little bit into the disruption. I got to use the D word, disruption, disruptors, <laughs> the eye buyers, even the compasses and the the red fins and all that stuff that's out there. What do you think all that's going to turn into? What's your take on where this could all shake out? Well, I, I think that the companies you mentioned are all very very different, and I can probably talk about each one of them for an hour. So to touch on to touch on a couple. I'm very bullish on many of the companies that you you mentioned. Uh, I think Zillow, for instance, has some of the smartest people in not just our industry, but just in technology and in entrepreneurship at the helm. I, I really do believe in Rich Barden uh, and his ability to, to drive real value at, at Zillow. And I think that he's betting really, really big on, on iBuyers becoming more prominent. Compass, man, I think that's probably one of the most misunderstood companies in our industry. I can't tell you how many brokerages write off Compass simply because they have a lot of capital or because they pay sign-on bonuses. People write them off and say, "Hey, we've seen this type, we've seen this type of story play out before with NRT." And I, you know, for a multitude of reasons, I think all of those statements are are fallacious. I think that they are inaccurate. Um, you know, NRT had a wider strategy where uh, Compass is really going deep in their markets so that they can unlock. Uh, and unleash these market dynamics, and they can really control the market or make the market. Yes, they they are armed with a lot of capital, but that's part of the problem, right? Is that they can come into your market and they can uh, take away your production by recruiting your top agents or just buying your company or your competitors. Uh, and I think that the the industry hasn't yet seen what a tech powered brokerage is capable of when they achieve that level of market dominance. Uh, this is very different than Redfin, another company that I, I think is a force to be reckoned with. But as you know, Redfin has you know very small market share in their respective markets. Compass, San Francisco, 36 to 38% market share. Just wow. take a look at what they're starting to do with off-market listings and coming soon listings. It is really shaking things up and incumbent brokerages uh, are, are really starting to pay attention. Uh, and I think that covers you know a few of the ones you talked about. Again, I could talk about it for a long, long time of but that's just a few thoughts on, on some of the big players. I want to I want to take you back. I at the beginning of the the episode I talked about Brad Inman and, and the Inman Connect events. You've been you know a, a, um, real tight with the the Inman team for quite a while. Can you share a little bit about how how that you know how that started? It had to be important for Real Scout, I would think, at some level too, right? To have that sort of platform where you're uh, you're you're part of that Connect experience. Yeah, I I can't say enough kind things about the the team at Inman News or the the quality of talent that that they have um, you know running the company. I met Brad probably not long after founding Real Scout in 2012-2013 and you know he's an entrepreneur, he believes in empowering entrepreneurs and he really gives a great platform 
to startups and to companies that are looking to shake things up. He's not always the most popular because he takes controversial companies and puts them on stage and gives them a, a megaphone as as he should. I mean, it, it's important as an industry that we open our ears to fresh ideas. And I think Brad is really uh, responsible for, for a big part of that. So we have, have worked with Inman in the past. Uh, you know, I'm a contributor on Inman News. Uh, we also produce content that that we share on stage, as he pointed out earlier, and and you know we're we're grateful for the relationship we have because I think people take it for granted sometimes. But to have objective journalism, and I believe it is objective. I think the journalists at Inman News are are really you know terrific, as evidenced by their their recognition and, and and awards. And then I think that the conferences are are bringing they bring the industry together and they bring people with differing opinions together. And I think that there's something really uh, special about that. Yeah, I mean, just the lineup of guests, you know, it started with Mike Del Preti, right, uh, who's who's an amazing, um, you know, analyst. He does a great job with his stuff. But then then mm-hmm. to have, you know, Rich Barton and then to have Eric Wu, it just kind of kept going and going. It's not like uh, we're getting someone down the line. We're getting founders on stage and, and CEOs. Uh, and that's, that's right. a really important process. Yeah. Absolutely. I asked for a half hour of your time and I want to I want to abide by that. So I'm going to give you the same final question I've given every guest on the show since uh, episode one with Jay Thompson, <laughs> formerly of Zillow. <laughs> um, and that's if you could give one piece of advice to a new agent just getting started, what would it be? My piece of advice to an agent or even a, a brokerage exec would be cash flow over ego. And this keeps running through my head. It is so important to be data-driven, and it's something that I think we could use more of in our industry. So carefully analyze where you're investing your time, what activities you're pursuing. Uh, you know, every, if, if postcards are high ROI for you, double that on postcards. If being a, a panelist at, at, at industry conference is, is driving referrals, double that on that. If those things are not driving business for you, stop doing them. And I think that you know, too often we get caught up by red shiny objects or, or ego. I think it's, it's really important that you know, every agent and every brokerage exec consider themselves a data-driven entrepreneur and really make rational decisions about where they're investing their time. Andrew, if somebody wants to reach out to you uh, and if they have further questions, is there a way they can do that? Yeah, I think the easiest way would be Instagram. I'm at A. Flackner. Uh, or they can email me at aflackner at realscott.com. Awesome. Andrew, thank you so much for the time. I was very excited when uh, I found out you were coming on the pizza hunt and uh, <laughs> and, uh, and you're gracious enough to come on the show. I really appreciate it and and continued success with what Real Scout is doing. It's been super fun to watch. Awesome. Always good ta- talking to you, Bill.